This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Neil Zacharias and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. In this episode, I talk with Sarah Bonham, a scientist and entrepreneur who co-founded Willow Cup, a California-based food tech company dedicated to using the endless possibilities of plants to unlock the keys to better aging. The brand's inaugural product, Perennial, a nutrient-dense plant-based beverage launched in spring of 2019 and reimagines adult nutrition. Sarah is an expert in manipulating plant proteins for optimal functionality and combining plant-based inputs for better-tasting food. She was a participant in IndieBio, the San Francisco-based biotech accelerator where she perfected using plants to replicate the taste, texture, and nutritional parity of dairy milk experience that was integral to Perennial's formulation. In this conversation, Sarah and I talk about her background as a pre-med student and how and why she decided to get involved in the food industry. What gave her the confidence to leave a job at a big food company to launch her own food startup? What attracted her to food tech and the potential to accelerate change in the food industry via innovation? How her early experiments replicating dairy milk froth using plants led her to better understand the gaps in functionality, taste, and texture of existing products, as well as a gap in the market when it came to addressing the needs of healthy aging. Why she thinks what she's working on is Food Tech 2.0, and why we need to go beyond replicating meat, dairy, and eggs and create products that are not just replacements, but also improvements. Sarah talks about why the adult nutrition market is in desperate need for innovation and how Perennial is designed to offer consumers in that segment a nutritionally superior product that tastes great. We talk about the Perennial formulation and the health benefits it offers and how it can be consumed to maximize its effects. Why Perennial launched with e-commerce only to begin with. The challenges of marketing to the 50 plus market segment and how Perennial is working to champion healthy aging and creating a brand that changes the conversation around aging. There's a lot in this conversation that really stood out for me, starting with the challenge of launching a new company and brand in a category that hasn't been the focus of most new food and beverage companies, to using food tech to improve the nutritional quality of food, 
Sarah is confident yet humble, driven yet very balanced and flexible in how she views her business and the applications of her company's first product. It's very exciting to see people like Sarah and brands like Perennial entering into the world of food and nutrition. I'm excited to follow her journey as she uses food technology to not only make food taste great, but also nutritious enough to be considered medicine. Sarah Bonham from Perennial, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Nell. I'm grateful to be here and really excited. We talked a few uh, months ago. Um, we caught up uh, in person when I, I think I had just moved to LA at that point. And um, I had heard of you and the work that you were doing um, at IndieBio through Ryan mm-hmm. Bethencourt, who's been on this podcast before, and was just really curious about where that business was going to go. So we caught up a few months ago and and I asked you to be on the podcast back then, but I think uh, you said just wait a few months because um, we are getting set to launch, which is great. And here we are now. Perennial is alive and, and kicking. Yes. And um, so I'm really excited to, to be sharing your story because I think it's a very unique uh, and fascinating one. And, and the same two words can be used to describe your product. Uh, <laughs> most people probably will not uh, will not have heard about Perennial before this. So let's kind of go back to what your beginnings were, because I know you were a pre-med student. I know that about you. And mm-hmm. for some reason, you decided <laughs> to take a different path uh, that has brought you to this point where now you are a co-founder of a food company. Uh, yeah, I think I, well, I definitely started in university, gosh, many moons ago, um, with the dream of going to medical school and making a significant impact on human health and saving lives. But throughout the journey, I think, well, pre-med, you study nutrition and biochemistry, and you can take electives. And I started learning more about food science and agricultural chemistry. And um, yeah, really realized that I could make just as big of an impact on human health uh, with food. Um, It's kind of not talked about as much as I feel like it should be. I mean, there's rising obesity and diabetes, and I think food can act as medicine in many ways. And um, now there's so much data out there and so much technology where we can understand plant-based inputs and all these different elements and how they can significantly impact humanity for health. Uh, So yeah, I started in that and then I made a pivot and ended up graduating more in um, food chemistry and agricultural science, which was different, but still very much focused on human health. And then that kind of spurred my interest to uh, pursue learning about plant-based nutrition and all of that a bit more. ended up getting graduate uh, degree in bio, uh, biological engineering, but it was all about manipulating plants and looking at waste and making sustainable packaging. But that experience really started to uh, wake me up about just how all the benefits of plants and what we can do and what we can, how we can innovate with them and food and make packaging and, and all sorts of things. So and, you know, I even had a professor once that said a certain percentage of a pill is food grade. So <laughs> I was like, 
Ah, very interesting. <laughs> like, were you interested in nutrition or you kind of stumbled upon that because of your general passion for for health, which is what you were kind of originally leading down the path of uh, pre-med and hopefully you were you're going to go to med school after that? Yeah, I think I was always kind of interested in nutrition and wellness and um, even throughout university, I had an online tea business and uh, was just always creating things and um, my uh, grandma founded a senior center, which kind of relates to perennial and in- indirectly. Um, and growing up, I spent a lot of time there and working with nutritionists and making food for seniors and just volunteering. So, in in pre med and med school, also you don't learn much about nutrition. I think there's some people say that there's one class that's taught. That's pretty much it. I don't know the details, but uh, it seems like most. Um, uh, most people working in the medical profession uh, don't know the power of uh, food or don't know enough about the details around the power of food and nutrition to actually transform people's health. So yeah. it's, um, you're lucky that you figured it out in uh, in university uh, so you didn't have to then kind of find your way back into uh, learning about food later in life when you were, would be years into your medical profession and yeah. we probably too late to become a food entrepreneur at that point. Yeah, it's uh it's a tricky one. I definitely respect all those, you know, folks that work in medicine and the many many years that go into becoming a doctor. Um but yeah, I think it's so fascinating that all the these uh natural inputs and their impact that they can have on healthy human life and we're learning more and more as science progresses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so after um, you kind of graduated, of course, you now were knowledgeable about food and you were, the research that you were doing. What was your first step? Did you, I know you worked in General Mills for a few years. And so give us kind yeah. of the journey that led you to Indie Bio. <laughs> and then obviously I know that was the, the on-ramp to your entrepreneurial journey. I think, you know, right out of uh, grad school, I actually worked as a bit in engineering um, and in food science. I was manipulating all these different plant-based inputs to uh, create more sustainable types of packaging. Um, Worked on products that I developed agricultural mulch film out of certain plants that degraded and was used in packaging in Abu Dhabi and France and all these countries. And it was so fascinating because I had this incredible laboratory where I could innovate and explore endlessly. But um, yeah, still missed the food elements. Uh, it was very much more bioengineering focused mm-hmm. and um, ended up applying to General Mills. I'd actually done an internship there uh, in grad school and so really wanted that experience of what it would be like t- to work at one of these big multinational food companies that was making good food and um yeah, operating at such a large scale where I could really learn the ins and outs of operations and packaging and product development. And I think my experience there was a very interesting one in a time where big food was acquiring a lot of smaller companies. I think my time there, Epic was acquired. Mm-hmm. Um, they acquired Annie's. Um, they invested in Beyond Meat. So I started seeing all these investments and pro- this change in uh, the food system and um, yeah it was really inspiring mm-hmm. and yeah it just kind of woke me up and I always am innovating and thinking big and 
uh, kind of pushed me a little bit to think in a different way and thought, hmm, maybe I could start something in. I So I'm going to pause there because I, how does someone who is out of college at General Mills, obviously in an early stage in your career, uh, get the thought that maybe I can start something? And and I and I'm, I'm I'm seriously asking you that question because that's the point. That's the thing that comes to many people's minds at some point in their lives. Um, it can happen in the early years of their career. It can happen ten years in when mm-hmm. they're just worn out and and like there has to be another way besides uh, showing up nine to five. Obviously, it came from uh, an interest and a passion in food, but to translate that into uh, perhaps hmm. I'm going to now, and I don't know what your next step is, so I'm assuming here, quit your job or start working mm-hmm. on something on the side. What gave you the confidence to to even, to to not dismiss that thought and move forward with it? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I think I've always been someone that's been innovating and creating. Um, I saw big food moving slower, though. I, I think that was my a bit of my frustration and pivotal point. I was like, we shouldn't be investing in cricket protein, more sustainable, or I don't know. There were so many things going on. Um, maybe not cricket protein, but just, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I saw these big companies r- rather, this is my personal opinion, maybe innovating uh, less in-house and just rather acquiring and mm-hmm. I really wanted to innovate and learn and I just feel like the world is changing at such an incredible pace that um, we needed to move faster and um, always being entrepreneurial I had a online tea business in university um, I started listening to podcasts more about entrepreneurs that were doing these amazing things and um, was really passionate also about sustainability and the environment. I started learning more about um, just the amount of water, for example, used in dairy production and how arable land masses and, you know, we're not in the global population, how it's expanding and yet the world is aging. And it just started to really impact me. And um, I thought I took a trip down to San Francisco in late 2015 and um, met a few companies but was and then I started uh, applying to and learning about IndieBio and these accelerators that were out there that really are in existence to push humanity and change the world and I started learning about companies like Beyond Meat and which my business partner Brent <laughs> Taylor uh, co-founded and was just getting very much inspired and motivated that hey maybe I could do it too or try and mm-hmm. um, <laughs> definitely took that huge risk yeah. and it's it's not easy but um, yeah I mean I felt like if I didn't try I would always regret it um, yeah. it was just almost eating me alive but and I started formulating in my kitchen and working with all these different plant inputs and um, kind of looking at non-dairy type applications and sensory. I'm always fascinated by how things taste because my food science background. Mm -hmm. So that's when it all kind of started. And then, um, yeah, I I was also, I I did grad school. I did my undergrad at McGill University and did grad school at the University of Guelph, but got into an incubator there where I was able to use all sorts of types of equipment that I was familiar with to manipulate plants. And it wasn't a high pressure uh, environment so I had the space and time to kind of think it through and then um, yeah applied to uh, IndieBio I 
gosh, I heard about it, I think probably through a podcast or online and just was so inspired. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe just maybe I'll get in who knows. And, um, I think it also applied to FoodX, which is another one of mm-hmm. SOS Ventures, um, accelerators and, uh, had a few interviews. They entertained the conversation, but they said to me, you know, I, you, we have to try this, whatever you're making. And at the time it was more of a milk kind of base product made from plants. And I was like, how am I going to do this? I'm in Canada. So I'm originally from Canada yep. now living here in Southern California. Um, but I took that leap of faith, you know, you really have to want it. And I got on a plane and brought my prototype. I think I was even half formulating in the hotel room and just really sold, I think, them on the future and where I thought there were gaps in the science and um, food industry and my learnings coming from big food um, that I thought Silicon Valley and maybe, I don't know, the world could use and maybe improve humanity maybe just maybe and uh (laughs) i think uh got in based on that and the you know maybe the potential i mean indie bio is a place where you spend four months and you develop your idea into a product and you learn from consumers and it was a really great experience yeah i i I, uh, and intense (laughs) yeah i can imagine there's there's um there's a lot there to unpack and i'm I'm not going to go into all of it but i did want to pick up on the fact that you you know what sometimes may seem like a crazy idea this like you know maybe I can do it maybe I can change the world and maybe I can make some sort of an impact Uh, it's acting on those maybes that leads to anything Mm -hmm. Uh, and if most people hadn't done you know if Ethan Brown or someone else hadn't at some point thought you know maybe I can make meat from plants uh, what most people would have thought was a stupid idea if he first suggested it, um, he wouldn't have done what he's done with Beyond Meat. And I know your your co-founder Brent was part of that early journey as well. So it's it everything starts from these uh, nothing but <laughs> nothing but some sort of a crazy naive um, mm-hmm. um, leap of faith of an idea, um, and then really acting on it. But but here's where things are different now, right? And you mentioned how you took the journey into IndieBio. We live in a time when if you have the right background and the right qualifications and a great enough dream and a great enough idea and passion for something, you have accelerators. You have these, mm-hmm. these, these uh, existing systems that you can plug yourself into that will eventually lead you down the path if you work hard enough and you actually... Um, can prove you have the skills and can formulate a product that works. Imagine how hard that must have been for people years ago. But oh, we are totally. very lucky to live in a time when um, you know you can be a you, that crazy person with a with a crazy dream sitting in your apartment yeah. or in in your dorm room in college, and you don't have to do it alone, provided you're willing to put in the time and help uh, and and effort. You can plug yourself and apply into certain systems. Uh, or accelerators or organizations that can support you along the way. So that to me is just amazing that we live in this time. I know. I even think back to that. I mean, in university, I remember in grad school, my advisor um, put me in an entrepreneurship competition. So maybe that's kind of too where it started. And for me, and um, I ended up winning this specific competition. I think I made compostable packaging out of soy protein for yogurt. (laughs) And... um, 
I remember just being like, well, what do I do now? What, where do I take this? And there wasn't accelerators at the time. And I should say, you know, when I left General Mills, it was like I was working full time. I had a condo, a, like a life uh, in Toronto. But, you know, food tech was so young in many ways and it still is exploding. I mean, there's been a pivotal moment now with the IPO of companies like Beyond Meat and it's mainstream. But um, food tech was just more nascent even a few years ago I remember telling my parents that I was leaving and I was going to San Francisco and was going to change the world and, um, but I hope people out there you know believe they can too and the you know just it's just beginning there's so much room for innovation I think and even improving the taste and um, types of products out there mm-hmm. so yeah it's just really the beginning and I think it's yeah it's yeah, and in, so in terms of IndieBio, um, you said it was four intense months. Um, I'm assuming the idea of um, what is now perennial was born there. So tell us about those four months, and then how did that lead to the point uh, where you eventually um, uh, partnered up with Brent Taylor and uh, have now launched perennial? And of course, then we're going to go deep into perennial. Mm-hmm. But how did the experience at IndieBio lead up into what you're doing now? So IndieBio, I don't know if the listeners know, is uh, this, I think we might have mentioned it. Um, they are a biotech and life science accelerator. They even fund companies that only 15, I think, every four months that are either going to affect a billion people or, I don't know, maybe make a billion in revenue or just really change the world for the better. Um, so when I got in, it was my background was all about manipulating plants and you know, natural ways, using natural chemistry or processes and using great sensory experiences and trying to make plants taste almost like animal protein. Um, and through the journey there, I when I started, I was looking at milk froth and how does that happen? How do you um, make it like animal milk, you know, cow's milk? Or um, how do you make ice cream? And I was looking a lot at what was called the micelle of milk um, but trying to replicate it with plants. And so it was all about sensory and uh, making delicious offerings and a lot of consumer-facing experience. So we were testing on different different products and different people. But what we learned was um, there was a, a huge void in the marketplace. People weren't speaking a lot to the consumer over 50. Um, and everyone was focusing on millennials uh, and yet there was also a gap in the functionality and taste and texture of these plant-based offerings. So we were, it was very early days. Um, it kind of started off trying to replicate milk. Um, but there were a lot of companies also working on very similar things that are out there today, um, which are amazing. Um, but, you know, within that four months, I think what I realized was we could go much beyond the animal, I think. And like replicating the taste and texture and nutritional properties we were able to achieve that and um through near the end of indie bio i um was introduced to through an investor to brent um my business partner um who had came from beyond meat and he had uh, i think he'd been out of the day-to-day for uh, quite some time a few months but we just shared this passion around um you know, leveraging the power of plants for healthy aging, but also this kind of forgotten consumer. 
and we're really also health focused and like what what else can we do with plants um how can we blend them in ways to improve the brain and digestion and um there's some really fascinating research out there and so we wanted to take we almost call it food tech 2.0 um or whatever you know just the next kind of wave of plant-based innovation and why why uh 2.0 is that because your approach is um uh, innovating on on the taste and texture but also keeping nutrition in mind is that yeah. why or it's I'm funny just i think our that. investor coined that um just kind of what's next beyond replicating meat and mm-hmm. dairy how can we go into food as medicine how can we um go just beyond uh replicating what else is out in the market like let's think differently what obviously a lot of these companies have done such a good job and mm-hmm. removed cholesterol and all these bad things um and made them cleaner and taste good but we really challenge ourselves um well in a way we're almost like a health science business but our output is food um and that's just kind of how we think i love that i love that in fact it's very similar to a lot of conversations I've, ha- I've been having lately and first time I've heard someone call it food tech 2.0 is because I've <laughs> lately been on anyone's heard any recent episodes um, knows I've been ranting about this a lot is that what happens once everyone's you know we figured out how to replicate meat dairy and eggs um, and we've we've done we've used food science to be able to make it exactly taste smell look the same um and of course it is better because it is made from plants um uh, mm-hmm. so it, as you said doesn't have cholesterol and a few other things that tend to be problematic when it comes to animal based foods but we sometimes forget that we end up having to add things to it to achieve those goals of uh replication mm-hmm. um when i say add things it's usually uh, it's it's ingredients that uh, perhaps don't um make the products unhealthy per se but definitely change their nutritional profile in a way where someone's comparing a plant-based milk mm-hmm. to uh to you know dairy-based milk uh, may want to sit, step back and wonder whether they're better off finding healthier dairy-based milks than choosing a plant-based option that's got additives and uh, i'm just saying from a pro- standpoint of an average consumer who's trying to make a healthy choice and is thinking plant-based is a good option i've heard a lot about it and then they actually turn the package around and they're confused by what they read over there. Oh yeah. That's going to become a real problem and also as the plant-based food industry grows and as these products become popular, it's crucial for them to move in the direction of not just being replacements but also being improvements um on existing products. And I think you oh, basically like that. said that. Hmm. Uh as well when when you describe food food 2. Uh, food tech 2.0 um But perennial is different in that sense because it's not just a plant-based milk. It is a product specifically intended for the adult nutrition market. So what is adult nutrition? So adult nutrition is this kind of ignored dusty aisle of the store, but it does billions in sales um but hasn't really been looked at in my opinion for decades. Um it's very much dominated by the convalescent kind of solution um versus focusing on prevention and wellness um it 
has products like Ensure and Boost, which most people are familiar with maybe their grandparents purchasing or post-surgery or kind of when you're in a state where you need supplemental nutrition. Um, But they're all very much dairy-based, have cholesterol, um, but definitely serve a need. I mean, they've been around for years and are very much meal replacements. So um, it's a very large category, adult nutrition, focused a lot on meal replacements. Ensure and Boost, I think, or adult nutrition category is about $4 billion in revenue. But yet, why is it that every other area of the store is so novel with new products? Uh, you have a lot more people sampling their, I don't know, beverages or bars, but not this aisle. Um, it, it's really bizarre because no one really thinks about it. And I think it's also because the majority of new innovation targets millennials. Um, I mean, you got 500 new plant-based milks every year. Um, There's just, I mean, it's great for consumers today, but also kind of hard to navigate. And so when we thought of perennial, we thought, where could we make such a big impact on humanity? I mean, six, what is it, 10,000 people every day are turning 65. This is on top of a global population that's uh, growing and needing more sustainable protein solutions and all, you know, various different things. And, you know, this demographic in adult nutrition has about the most disposable income, about 15 trillion in disposable mm-hmm. income. Um, yet they've kind of been ignored. Uh, only 1% of global innovation targets people over 50. Only 10% of marketing spend. Why? You know? Um, and yet people are aging better. They're, you know, I think there's just such a big opportunity. And using science now and all these tools we can discover plants and how they can impact healthy human life and improve and create delicious sensory experiences it doesn't have to mean you're drinking medicine it can you know taste like milk but made from plants uh uh you know just how can you incorporate functional food into your life where you don't have to have supplements anymore or all those you know maybe in time you could have one or two less of your medications and um so that's kind of the goal with us and kind of thinking about adult nutrition who knows maybe one day we'll change that out and call it healthy aging <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and you're so right that um people are are healthy longer and you know it was at one point it was um 30 was the new 20 and then 40 is the new something else and and i know many people in post you know, like in the 50 plus who are super fit super healthy so that's one one trend that's that's definitely happening people are learning that you, you know you're just because you've crossed the 30 or 40 or even 50 threshold oh, yeah. uh, it doesn't mean you necessarily have to slow down you just have to adjust and learn how to adapt and and take care of yourself and you can you can be healthy well into your 60s and even 70s oh yeah it's crazy that um we even have this campaign going on called five over 50 where Mm -hmm. we're trying to change the conversation about aging it doesn't always have to mean you know in the store you go right from the millennial to the mom to like convalescence but there's this huge generation out there that is still working they're entrepreneurs they're creating new businesses and we want to really champion them, learn from them. And yeah, they're aging so much different and better than their, their parents. Um, and now they're kind of speaking up and we're trying to highlight them within our brand too and just give them a voice. And mm-hmm. So what is, so for someone who is, um, 
in your target demographic, I'm assuming that's 50 plus, right? Mm -hmm. That's who the drink is um, is meant for. Why would they pick up perennials? You know, for one thing, it's we've designed it or developed it so it's in this small compact bottle. It's like eight ounces. You can bring it on the go. Um, but perennial was designed to be this all-in-one solution for healthy aging. And we're still learning and constantly improving. Um, it's The beverage has a blend of four plant proteins, um, vitamins, and fiber. But foremost, it's very much personalized for the wants and needs of this consumer. Um, it hits on brain health, gut health, uh, bone health, immune health. And you don't even really taste like you're drinking plants. I mean, we, you can put it in your cereal, you could put it in your smoothie. Um, and yeah, so there are about two years of time put into making it taste good, like you weren't drinking plants um, and super functional. Um, I mean, 69% of baby boomers today care about cognitive nutrition. Mm -hmm. So it's not always just about what do you need? It's asking them, like, what do you care about? Like, is it, you know, uh, staying at work a few extra hours to work on your new business and just be at the top of your game? Um, or is it a post-workout snack because, you know, you're playing pickleball down at the local courts and you need something uh, that's really personalized for you? I mean, even right down to the vitamins and minerals in the product, we took a really thoughtful approach and um, I added things that actually enhance the absorption of one another versus just adding the whole kitchen sink of ingredients. Um, I don't know if that always works the best and it's super digestible. Um, so there's four plant proteins in it and they work together to give the same digestibility as say milk. Um, it's called a PDCAS score. And uh, that was really hard to achieve. So something that you can have that you feel great after, you don't feel bloated like how you would with normal plant-based other beverages. Um, and I don't think people think a lot about that. They just hit on protein or, but what is the quality of the protein? How are those vitamins interacting? So this is a lot of thoughts being into it. And hopefully people just feel uh, light and mentally at the top of their game after. Mm -hmm. so. And the way the, the beverage is formulated, is it something that um, you feel the effects of it if you try it, you, if you consume it once, or is it meant to be consumed on a, on, go, on a regular basis? Because that's a part where a lot of people tend to get confused, or, or actually a lot of companies tend to uh, sort of some, in some ways misrepresent their products because a lot of functional uh, functional foods this whole new trend of functional foods and adaptogens and other things right for them to have the effect that they claim to have you have to consume them on a regular mm -hmm. basis when it comes to perennial is the idea that you consume this on a regular basis and uh, you will start to feel the effects of it mm -hmm. um, or is it can it can you feel that energy or, or vitality the first time <laughs> you drink it <laughs> well it's definitely a daily product mm -hmm. i think you can buy it in a 12 pack or you can purchase it on subscription. I think the goal was to just make it as easy as possible to fit into your daily life and, and yeah, to just, and it's only, you know, eight ounces. So you get mm -hmm. all this pack and uh, nutrition just in a small bottle that's super convenient. I feel like a lot of the bottles today are ginormous and to get all that nutrition, it, it kind of takes a while to drink, but uh, no, it's meant to be consumed daily to, to you know, really realize that full effect as yeah. we age. And how did you, what did you do from an ingredient standpoint to ensure that the product was uh, was meeting your initial goal of, you know, Food Tech 2.0, yeah. how to improve, not just replace? Mm -hmm. um, what did you do and, you know, 
like did you I'm sure you had to make some some tough decisions to make sure the product tastes great but at the same time mm-hmm. um so it wasn't compromising on taste but at the same time wasn't compromising on the integrity that that you seem to obviously have and the and the goal why you even got into all of this in the first place yeah i mean it, it's such a journey honestly taking a product from benchtop to pilot to making thousands and thousands of liters um and and you know everyone has an opinion about food they either want low sugar or super high protein or you know we really tried to listen to the consumer along the way and do studies with them and what they care about so when developing perennial, um, the base nutrition is almost the same as milk. It has the same protein, um, less sugar, about 40% less sugar, um, but it has um, vitamin A, calcium, iron, all of those elements that you would find in milk and uh, very good digestibility, but without any of the cholesterol. So that was the base. And then from there, we added select vitamins and minerals that this consumer was not getting enough of, according to the USDA, FDA, in their diet, and vitamins that really absorb and work well together. And then from there, I was like, what do people care about? What is on the top of their mind? And a lot of it came down to things like fiber. We have prebiotic fibers in the beverage that actually enhance calcium absorption, so they work with the calcium in the product for bone health, which is very important for this consumer. Um, we added algae-based omega, so all vegan, um, with choline, folate, vitamin E, and folic acid, and together they work um, for cognitive nutrition. And um, yeah, the, we have a complete protein. I think people don't think about that as much as uh, just the quantity of protein. So there's only eight grams of protein, the same as you would find in a glass of milk, but it has all the amino acids for muscle health. And um, yeah, it's there's no artificial fi- flavors, no artificial sweeteners, um, and it's gluten-free. Um, we did have to add some organic cane sugar, um, but just you know, less than a glass of milk. And uh, we made that choice in order to avoid adding all these artificial sweeteners. So it's completely whole foods compliant. So is this beverage meant to be consumed on its own, or does it replace an existing way in which people typically consume milk. So I guess my question is, can this be added to your smoothie? Is it something? Yeah. You, I mean, I guess you mentioned smoothie. What about cereal? Or what about yeah. coffee yeah, or yeah. tea? And or, or is it standalone only? No, that's what's so great and it was so hard to uh, formulate um, the beverage. It can be used on its own. It tastes really good chilled. Obviously, it's shelf stable. Um, which is why you can have it put in your purse or your gym bag after working out. Um, but yeah, you can put it in your smoothie, um, you can put it in your cereal. I've put it in my tea before. Um, yeah, it should function. So yeah, so it isn't. So I guess a reason for that question is when you are introducing a product that um, is sort of in a different category, mm-hmm. um, and if it's to feel the benefits of it, you have to consume it daily. If that product is not part of someone's existing eating uh, habits or rituals, it gets really tough to get into a consumer mindset because now you're making them add another drink and they don't know whether it fits in during breakfast or lunch or dinner or when am I supposed to have this before bed. Um, What you're saying is that it's It's because of the versatility of the product, you you can use it on its own 
pre post workout but also use it at breakfast or or for a snack even yeah it's okay. you know it's a non dairy uh nutrition br- uh drink that's mm-hmm. kind of for supplementing so um while it, the goal was to make it have a very clean taste so it wasn't our consumer did not want things that were overly strawberry overly chocolate overly vanilla it has a hint of vanilla in it but um yeah, definitely you want to hit on a use occasion. I mean, right now we're finding our consumers are having it mid-morning, um, and some are even having it instead of a meal. But um, we're still learning a lot of that. But mm-hmm. finding, okay, how am I going to drink this daily? Right. How am I going to get my brain health and my digestion going? Um, yeah, and so they're putting it in their cereal. This is some of the comments on our website. Yeah. We'll be getting a lot of good reviews, too, about the taste. I think, I think that's why people are putting it in all these... So do you envision like some people will will stop buying the existing dairy or plant-based milk that they buy and buy perennial instead is and maybe it's too early to to know that at this point but uh, I guess it's for are you trying to be the plant-based milk brand for um 50 over 50 plus market segment or are you trying to just be a functional beverage that some people in that in that 50 plus market segment will add? Yeah, that's a tough but interesting <laughs> question. I, I think, um, yeah, we still have a lot of learning to do on that front. Um, people are using it more as a milk. It was designed almost to be in the adult nutrition aisle and kind of um, be a healthier, more clean, modern approach to products like Ensure and Boost, which mm-hmm. dominate the market. But we're finding even those products are dairy-based. I think people yep. always assume dairy and milk. I think there's a lot, like, milk is in everything. Um, so if they will use it more for those applications, then we will, yeah, probably go that way. But our goal is probably to be a cleaner, more modern version of some of the incumbent offerings, but innovate um, with plants and in totally new ways and not just focus on the needs. But, you know, what does this consumer care about? So I think, yeah, we'll learn. We we launched literally four weeks ago. So, um, yeah, I I think people are using it in new ways. And if they want um, something for their coffee or to, you know, a different flavor or something more functional, we will innovate accordingly. And that's what's so great. We, We launched online and we're learning very fast. And that's, you know, the one main advantage you have as a startup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's such a crucial point, right? Everyone can have um, all these ideas about who will love the product and how they will use it, um, and you may find out something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and and not and actually, that may be great. <laughs> and and that's when you always have to, you've got to be always prepared to respond and adapt based on that. And I think you're starting off at a great place. Obviously, there's a reason you launched e-commerce first is you can test the market. You can get a sense of how people are using it, how they're responding to the brand, how, um, and I'm sure you're probably also talking to retailers to gauge their um, sense and feedback before you you roll out your next kind of wave of um, mm-hmm. uh, of release. I know it's only been a few weeks, so it's a lot of these, these questions are probably too early for you to even know where this is going to play out. And we may have a completely different story to tell. Not completely, but an evolved story to tell maybe a year from now. Yeah, I mean, it's just going to be a, a journey over the next uh, 
six months to a year of just testing and learning um, very quickly. So since you're targeting a different demographic um, compared to where everyone seems to have their attention lately, and you pointed out that, you you mentioned that earlier, that everyone's talking about millennials and Gen Z, and all that you see around um, branding and marketing is targeted to that demographic and that consumer segment, and and people completely forget, and you, you, you mentioned a few stats earlier, uh, about the the power in the 50 and the 65 plus population, uh, not just the spending power, but the fact that, you know, I think about 8% of our population right now is in that 65 plus category. Mm-hmm. That's expected to only grow by the year 2030. So the market potential is obviously there. The challenge, I can assume, for you, um, given that there's not enough attention being paid to that market, is how do you market to this consumer segment? How do you how how do you tell your brand story? How do you how do you get them to sit up and pay attention? Mm-hmm. Because all those existing because nine if ninety percent of the people are focused on Instagram and um and, and, and being cool young hip brands. Um not to say that if you're fifty plus you can't be hip and cool, uh maybe just not young anymore. What's different about your, you know, how you're approaching marketing and branding and even consumer education? Um, because you've got a very different consumer segment compared to where most of the brands in the plant-based food space are focused on right now. Yeah, um, it's something that we're still learning as we go in many ways. Uh, this consumer is seen it, heard it all. Like they're not as easy to convince, but they have very good brand loyalty. So. Um, and we're finding that they want cleaner, better products. But I think some of the challenges are just driving trial. We launched online. And many people, I think there's a lot of um, misperceptions, too, about you know folks as they age. Like, oh, they're not as much online. But 39% of consumers online are over 50, and they spend a lot, like 15 hours a week on Facebook And um, versus millennials. I mean, that's over 50% of people over 50 are spending 15 hours versus... Um, millennials, which are actually spending less time on on these social channels. So we're doing a few different things. For one, we're also trying to champion them um, in our brand voice, on our communication. We're trying to be almost like an activist and um, change the conversation about aging. So not just always be, here's our product and, you know, pounding them with that all the time, but really listening to them and sharing their stories and creating this platform as well. Um, as a brand where they have a voice. And it's really interesting because um, the alcohol industry and beauty is able to talk to, you know, people as they age in such a different way. These alcohol brands today, if you see, you know, a 60-year-old man on an ad, it's like sophisticated, it's cool, he's running a business or I don't know what he's doing, but it's okay. Or they know a lot about wine. Yet when it comes to adult nutrition, it's like people imagine folks in like diapers. I, I really don't know why <laughs> that is. So we're really trying to take different elements for and incorporate them into the fabric of our brand and really create visuals that resonate with this consumer um, and, you know, champion them on social. We're, we're doing what even a lot of millennial brands are doing as well, social advertising. Um, we're creating an email list where we have a lot of con- we're going to develop a lot of content about how people can age better with plants and um, just go out there where they are as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's really just one person at a time handing them our product, um, going you know pickleball's a new sport 
well, not a new sport, but it's the fastest growing sport in America for people over 50. And we're going there. We're going all sorts of places to just learn from them and uh, see how we can best serve them. And I, I personally, uh, my business partner and I are in our 30s. And so people always are like, <laughs> why you guys? And I think for us, we just want to create a better world where people can age into. And I think it starts different ages too, thinking about these things. But yeah, and we saw just a gap with our, within our parents, and they were searching for more plant-based options, and it's just really crazy. No one's really going after them. Yeah. I mean, 10% of marketing spend goes after this consumer, so. Yeah, no, I, I um, see the, the, as some people would say, are the disadvantages of entering uh, a market where there are not too many, um, there's not too much innovation happening is that uh, consumers aren't really paying attention, and um and they don't they probably will be like we don't understand why we need something like this the advantages are you can you can not just as you said not just sell a product you can craft a story for that 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 aging market segment you can and i don't say craft the story in the sense that you're um you're making up something but you, you use the word champion. I think that accurately captures it, is that you're giving them a voice, um, a platform, a narrative through, um, and I love that you mentioned content as well, because the the pluses over here that you, I think, the sort of the advantage you have and where you stand right now with Perennial as, is this huge white space to do what you want with it. And... Of course, you have a product that I'm sure a lot of time and effort has gone into making something that tastes great and that has all the right ingredients and that actually delivers on the nutritional promises. But more importantly, how do you then weave that into the fabric of the story of people who would be your end customers or end consumers of this product? How do you champion their lifestyle? And 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 the fact that aging in this day and age in 2019 and in the next 10, 15 years is going to look very different than it looked 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And perhaps we aren't paying enough attention to uh, the incredible stories of people who are defying the odds, staying healthy, fit, and finding new and interesting ways to use food and nutrition to um, improve their lives and improve the quality of their lives as they, they get into their 60s and eventually into their 70s. There's no point in living 100 years if you're going to be sick for 40 of those oh, 100 100%. years. So it's about the quality of life um, leading into your 70s. And I'm increasingly seeing people well into their 70s, my parents included, they have a, they have a passion for life. And I think the old paradigm is shifting. Oh, 100%. I, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, those are the kind of stories that we love hearing. I, we created this campaign, I know I talked about it before, called Five Over 50. And one of the ladies we featured, I think she's in her 60s, and she just, you know, later in her second act, got into uh, the Swimming Marathon Hall of Fame, or Marathon Swimming Hall of Fame. And we just really want to hear those, like, everyday heroes that are doing amazing things in this second act. And you know, maybe some are retired and they always wanted to write a book. I mean, we have this one man who lives here in Manhattan Beach and, um, yeah, I guess he was a lawyer all his career. And then one day he started writing novels after he retired and now they're bestsellers. And um, so we even have a nomination form on our website where it's like 
tell us your stories. I want to hear about your parents and how they're aging better and different. And we often hear it from the children of, you know, and that's another consumer we're thinking of going after is these people that care so much about their parents and looking at how they're aging differently and their parents are contacting them or what do you think about this product and that? And this is another opportunity, I guess, for perennial as well. So speaking of looking ahead of the years ahead, uh, how do you see perennial evolving from a business standpoint and a brand? Um, as I said earlier, it's very early in your journey. So there's, there's only so much you can say based on what you've learned so far. But um, at least from the, for the next one year, what are some of the big, uh, big things you're going to be focusing on? Yeah, I think it's really simple, actually. Um, it took us a few years to get where we are today, just launching a product that tastes really good and having a brand where we feel is in a place that resonates with the consumer. Um, but over the next year, we're going to really just be out there learning from our consumers, giving them the product, getting them to taste it and try it, learning what they care about so we can take a lot of this data and create new products um, that yeah champion them, matter to them and can integrate into their life uh, better um, but yeah just spending that time and uh, yeah learning yeah so. that's a that again back to the earlier point we discussed is that um, you know this is what the first year of a, of a new business looks like mm-hmm. um, is you you prepare you plan you strategize yeah. and you launch and then you sit back and you kind of watch what happens and make sure you keep adjusting your plan based on what happens. Yeah, and even with such a small team, I mean, I want to sugarcoat it. It's a lot of work on uh, operations and manufacturing mm-hmm. and food safety. And I think for us, just always making sure the end product that we deliver is just safe and tastes good and just making a product with so many different plant-based inputs at scale um, is not to be underestimated. So a lot of my team's efforts always thinking about that and focusing on that. But now we're going to be pivoting as well to just being out there um, where our consumer is and learning. So what kind of impact do you hope to have with uh, Perennial? Well, for one, I think it'd be amazing to kind of change this conversation about aging in America um, I and the world. I feel it would be incredible to be the number one uh, leader in global you know, healthy aging, um, adult nutrition, um, with a more modern approach, with cleaner inputs. And I think the future, it, there's a place where we're learning a lot about new plants and innovating in different ways and actually ex- like prolonging healthy human life um, globally. I think it's a global phenomenon. We're aging. The world's population is growing. So yeah maybe be a global leader mm-hmm. in um, this category and um, yeah, make this consumer have a brand that speaks to them. And of course I ask this question of everyone who comes on the podcast and you, you I may have told you I asked this question too. Uh, but if you look f- ahead 30 years, um, hmm. I know you got into the food tech and the food entrepreneurship world because of your passion for nutrition and health and impacting people's lives through that. And that eventually led you down the path of realizing that there was this this completely untapped um, opportunity for healthy aging and, produ- and creating better products for that market segment. Um, obviously, if you're successful, 
this category is only going to get better with firstly because of the products that you're putting out but also because I'm sure there'll be other entrants into the, mm-hmm. into the category and we're going to see a population of humans that are aging with amazing tasting products and we're as you said changing the conversation of what it is to um to live a long happy fulfilling life mm-hmm. so assuming all of that works according to plan and um plant-based beverages like this and other functional foods for that aging consumer segment uh becomes a real um um a real success story in, in the years ahead so if you look far ahead if say i give the year 2050 all the time because that's to me a pivotal kind of point in i think human history at least from where we stand today where the human population is estimated to be going to be 9.8 to 10 billion um i don't know what the aging population will be at that point i know it's supposed to be about 13% by 2030 one can expect by 2050 a huge segment of our human population will be in the 50 65 plus category um and if you're able to make the impact that you're setting out to make where you redefine beverages and foods in this category and other companies like yours achieve the same and we have food 2.0 and food 3.0 whatever that may end up becoming food tech 2.0 and food <laughs> tech 3.0 um and we have healthy food that are solving our environmental crisis as well as helping people live healthy lives what kind of food system do you see then what what is your utopia vision for where you would like to see our food system and the human population at age 20 in the year 2050 oh that's a loaded question i see a world where mm, maybe people aren't even taking medicine anymore food is more personalized it's integrated into their their daily products i think we will have much more real time data about ourselves um and how we can leverage plants and food like real time um i think we will understand how plants can be formulated real time um even go as far as like in, you know eradicate disease um or detect within ourselves very early on like alzheimers and um digestive problems and you know food will be able to be readily formulated to be personalized for you know and um your family i think yeah food and medicine will kind of start to intertwine i think data um and leveraging science science will be used as a tool for rapid discovery of molecules and ingredients that um we don't even know about or maybe they're in our food and we're just not absorbing them i think someone once said there's like more data in an apple than all of social media like i think we'll be able to understand the world around us a lot better even external factors like i think healthy aging it's not just about what you eat it's your social circles where you live and i think we'll be able to intertwine a lot of uh quantitative variables and external factors um i hope we also live in a world where we respect more of our elders and we understand each other more um i i definitely want to create a better world for people to age into um i think there's so much yeah just yeah. yeah things that we need we need to work out as a society but um yeah i think there'll be a lot more data integrated real time solutions available mm-hmm. um i think plant protein 
will be everywhere. I don't think it will be unknown anymore. I don't think people will be, it'll just be integrated. And heck, maybe it'll be integrated with, I don't even know if there'll be dairy as much, but it might be like a premium thing that people once heard of. I think these plant-based products will become so powerful and so delicious that they'll just be, you know, what our children and their children grew up with. Mm-hmm. So trying to really think outside the box here but um no that's great i i you know wouldn't it be amazing in in 2050 when you turn on the tv or you probably won't have tvs then (laughs) something else it'll be in our i don't know i'm not going to start speculating (laughs) about uh, technology but it wouldn't be amazing that instead of um uh, turning on our screens or um, putting on our glasses or the chips in our head or whatever we're going to see ads and marketing and to um, see healthy aging people uh, promoting food as medicine versus drugs. Yeah. Um, oh, I probably should have said that too. Yeah. I mean, because that's all I was thinking when you were saying. That. I was just like, imagine <laughs> the world. Because right now you see you see aging people in in marketing and in the media and in advertisements only when they are either promoting um, drugs for uh, pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. or oh, alcohol. <laughs> it's such a good point. I mean. And I think that's, you know, obviously why I kind of went into this. It's like, how can we improve human health? And maybe it's, this is just it. It's just food. And the more and more we can understand what goes in and how we can blend plants in new ways, not only right now what we're doing with sensory, but functionality. And maybe we'll be at that point then when we've discovered these ingredients and they'll be promoting it. Oh, you know, have this perennial. It's, um, you know, tastes amazing. And, you know, you won't ever get, Alzheimer's, it'll just detect it and prevent it immediately. And one one hundred billionth of um, a detection level, I yeah. have no idea. But no, uh, that's that's I the mean, world I want to age in. <laughs> so yeah, by twenty fifty, I'm going to be in that. Yeah, market I segment. believe it's possible. You know, I have seen the research out there. I'm definitely an optimist. But just how fast science innovation, how we're discovery is moving right now, and the world's accepting it. I mean, Beyond Meat IPO'd yesterday. I think uh, we're in this new age now where um, people are having animal protein and then sometimes plant protein. And I think they're trying it at least. Uh, Some of the people that are harder to change, you know. Um, And I think this older demographic needs things that taste delicious in order to kind of, you know, make that transition. But it's going to happen. And I think we're going to also plant protein is just also a sustainable solution. I mean, in the next 50 years, we have to produce more food than the past 10,000. So this is a solution with plants and better food. But um, yeah, maybe it'll also kind of transition into medicine as well. And maybe even our perception of medicine will change. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just thinking really outside of the box no, here. <laughs> I mean, it goes back to where you even started, right? Where we started this conversation about you in um, in pre-med um, deciding to change course and um, and saw that, you know what, you can probably make more of an impact on human health um, by focusing on food rather than uh, focusing on a career in medicine. And, and, you know, you're on your way and it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how the work that you're doing as well as many, many other people are doing right now hopefully leads us down the path where uh, technology is being used to create healthy food yeah. to, to en- people, enrich our lives. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I think when we talk about technology, people always think they're going to eat technology, but I think 
the difference is is you can use all these tools these things as tools to like discover and learn about plants and um, and the data and nutrition within them and blend them in different ways it doesn't always have to mean you're eating the technology yeah. Um, but yeah no, perennial are really excited especially because I, in many ways I feel we are the first company to in food and bev to um, leverage health science and plants and new ways to target this uh, forgotten consumer um, but yet it's thriving and amazing and doing incredible things the stories we've heard are uh, that's what keep wake you know you asked that question that's what keeps me going every day is waking up and thinking about this consumer and uh, how we can innovate for them and just do it faster and learn faster and hopefully being online um, liveperennial.com that's where we are now is our website um, yeah we can get there Sarah this has been uh, a really enlightening conversation I, I think I I kind of came into it not sure I understood the product um, I definitely do now um, and I and I wasn't sure I understood the the potential and what the bigger problem we're trying to solve over here but I, I definitely have more clarity on that too now and I hope the listener has it too so I think um, I think your background's fascinating I think the way you approached using food science to develop something so unique in a category that is um, as you said ignored um, is is a it's a bold but also a very smart move so uh, I know this is just chapter one in a, in a long story so I uh, I'm excited to see where all of this kind of goes in the next year and, and many, many years ahead. So, Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, uh, your podcast and business has inspired me. I've been listening since the beginning. So, uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.